Once there was a princess. Was the princess you? And she fell in love. Was it hard to do? It was very easy. Anyone could see that the prince was charming. The only one for me. Was he uh, strong and handsome? Was he big and tall? There's nobody like him. Anywhere at all. Did he say he loved you? Did he steal a kiss? He was so romantic. I could not Talk about a mashup. <laughs> two completely different narratives, if you will. Two completely different stories. Two completely different thought processes. Uh, someday my prince will come. God's story, your story. That time when Jesus was born. You know, I don't know about you, but I love a good story. I, I guess you could say I'm a hopeless romantic. I cry at Publix commercials this time of year. <laughs> that wasn't funny. <laughs> being open, being transparent, and you're going to laugh. Uh, I love a good once upon a time in a land far away. There was a prince. He was born in a castle. He was raised not only as a prince, but as, as the dwarfs were saying, was he... Is he trained as a knight? Is he strong? Is he handsome? Is he daring and courageous? And he was wise. And he, he battled the forces of evil, whatever they may be. And he overcame that evil, and, and he won the heart of the princess. Yay! You know these stories. And, and she became his bride. And then they were married, and they lived, say it with me, happily ever after. Oh, what a story. Today we're starting a series called God's Story, Your Story, and each week we're going to share with you a video clip from a well-known story. The purpose of the clip is to continually remind us that we are not the authors of God's story. You see, if we wrote the story, it would be like the second clip that I just shared with you. It would be, he was so romantic and he was a prince, he was Prince Charming and he came and he saved the day. Our story would be different than when God writes his story. Today, we're going to take a look at the story of Mary and Joseph. And that, that contrast from that first video we played, I want you to keep those things in mind. Because it seems to me we've been culturally trained, if you will, by Hollywood and children's books and my good friend Walt Disney. The, the little puppy always comes home. The hero always wins and happily ever after is real. But sometimes we miss the goodness of the story because we get so caught up in looking for a happy ending. We, 
I think we've even messed up the story of Jesus and his birth and his life because of things like cultural relevance and, and the modern commercialism, if you will, that we see on TV. And that's why today I want to start with Luke chapter 1. Starting in verse 1, I've only got a few verses to share with you today. Luke chapter 1, verse 1. Luke writes to Theophilus. And, and many have undertaken... Uh, let me start over, I'm sorry. He writes this to Theophilus. He says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of things you have been taught. So you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. That's how Luke starts out the, the book of Luke, the letter, if you will, to Theophilus. It's important for us to understand that God authored this story. God authored the birth of his son so that there would be no mistake in how things were meant to be. I appreciate how Luke emphasizes to Theophilus that, that he's writing this account of the birth and the life of Christ so that, that Theophilus can know with certainty what he has been taught is true. That goes for us too. We hold the gospel story in our hands. We don't have to depend on cultural relevance to learn and understand the story of our Lord and Savior. It's already been told. And it's been told with truth and accuracy. Will you pray with me? Father God, I thank you that we have the opportunity to come here and to hear and to retell the story of the birth of your son. I thank you for the willingness of, of Mary. I thank you for the obedience of Joseph. So many things we can learn from them. I pray that as we, we look into your story this week, that we'll see you know what's best. That we'll reflect on what you've shared with us. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. You see, the story of the beginning of Jesus' life is a familiar scene to most of us. There's sweet little lambs overlooking baby Jesus in the manger, the, the doe-eyed cows and camels standing close by, gazing at the little baby. No, no sound. No, they're lowing. He doesn't even stir. Mary and Joseph standing next to each other, smiling in that moment, looking at their baby boy all happy and cheerful. Uh, the wise men and the shepherds are there to worship and give gifts to the baby king. And the stable is lit up by that star. At least that's what the Hallmark Channel has showed us. Our nativity scenes around town and our, our, even our own front yards. It's what we see in our Christmas plays and our pageants and our, our cards that we send out. But it's funny to me, it almost seems like we've tried to write a better birth story for Jesus somewhere along the way. You see, the, it seems the stable and the manger have been sanitized. The birth has somehow become painless, ladies. No? Okay. I didn't think so. It seems that the people involved, Mary and Joseph, and even the shepherds, have somewhat been stripped of emotion and fear and amazement and wonder and awe of this amazing thing that's taken place, this story that God wrote from the beginning of time. And we look around our culture, it seems that we've forgotten or, or maybe just colored in a lot of the reality that happened to make God's story possible. I mean, hey, Christmas today is a full-blown industry. 
We seem to just bypass the wonder and awe and the inspiration of the journey and the adventure that took place so Jesus could be born. As a matter of fact, I think if if we wrote the story of Mary and Joseph and their travel to the little town of Bethlehem, it would probably look like this. Joseph, I'm cold. There, that should warm you. I'm tired too. I know, Mary. We only have a short distance to go. And I'm hungry. The usual? Yes, please. One peanut butter and pickle sandwich. Coming right up. Mmm. <laughs> oh, I'll go. Oh, look. There's Bethlehem just in the distance. Well, I hope they have a room for us. I'm sure they will. It won't be fancy. We have to watch what we spend. Well, I, I could use a bath, and my feet are uh, swollen. I can only imagine what you've been through on this trip. Well, you've been a sweetheart for dealing with my complaining. Not a problem. It isn't easy traveling 90 miles on a donkey and then walking part of the way when you're so big. And what do you mean by so big? Uh, there's the, the, the baby. It's okay, it's okay. I know what you meant. It's okay. Well, here we are. Yay! Do I look okay? You look gorgeous. Hello. Is anyone there? You know, the neat thing about this story, about God's story, is from Luke chapter 1, verse 37. The angel that appeared to Mary that told her she was going to carry the Son of God also told her that no word from God will ever fail. He said, no word from God will ever fail. And Mary said to him, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. The angel left her and her journey began. Oh, What a journey. I'm sure there were questions and accusations. Who could imagine, first of all, that the king of the Jews would be conceived in such a scandalous way? If we would have written the story, it would have happened a different way. It would have been more once upon a time-ish. But we didn't write the story. Somebody asked me, are you doing any mashups today? And I said, well, of sorts. I couldn't get her to show up. But there's an author, her name is Donna Van Leer, and she wrote a book called The Christmas Journey. And I think that what she shared about Mary and Joseph's journey shines some light on the things that we overlook about the birth story of Jesus. And I want to share that with you at this moment. If she were here, she would tell this story. It starts out, they have to go. They have no choice. Emperor Caesar Augustus has issued a decree that a census will be taken of the entire Roman world to aid in military drafting and tax collection. Although the Jews do not have to serve in the Roman army, but since they are obligated to pay their taxes, everyone will have to go and register at the place of their ancestral home. For Joseph's family, it would be over a 70-mile journey and a four- to seven-day walk from Nazareth to Bethlehem the town of his ancestors. It's not going to be an easy journey either, considering the shape Mary is in. We got a visual of that just a second ago. She's nine months pregnant. And we'll have to make the trip that winds through wilderness and desert and mountainside, sitting side saddle on a donkey and feeling every rock and bump along the way. 
Joseph leads the donkey out of the village at dawn. Mary's eyes are heavy, but he spent a sleepless night and has been awake for hours waiting for the light. The smell of fish and eggs cooking on the morning's fires saturate the street with a misty fog as families prepare for breakfast. Joseph's stomach rumbles as he packs the donkey. He should have eaten more, but is anxious to get on the road. His eyes meet Mary's as he helps her onto the donkey. He nods and she smiles in the half-light. Joseph walks beside the donkey, and although he does not look at them, he feels the eyes of his neighbors as they pass. The chattering of a few women drawing water ceases as he and Mary go by. And Mary keeps her head down. She has long known what they think of her. The laughter of two men mending a fishing net subsides to a whisper as the donkey approaches. And children stop playing in the street when their mothers clack their tongues and snap their fingers at them. Joseph sets his jaw and ignores them, relieved to get away for a while. The angel of God had visited him and Mary about this baby, but he hadn't visited everyone in town. Joseph has heard the townspeople ridicule Mary. He has seen them point and then turn away, ostracizing her with their clenched teeth and cold shoulders. Perversion, they have, they have said, prostituted under the nose of her father. The gossip indictments and the whispered innuendos have sped through every doorway. The conception was not cloaked in anonymity. Everyone knew her name. They knew her father and her mother's name. Joseph's, Joseph's own heart has throbbed with a dull pain for weeks. And looking at Mary, he wonders how someone so young is able to bear the burden of such a stigma. Mary lays her hands on her swollen belly. The baby dropped into the birth canal days ago, causing increasing discomfort. A chill clings to the shadows that stretch over the sleepy town. And Joseph places a thin blanket over Mary's legs. This morning echoes, excuse me, the morning echoed, echoes grow distant as they thread their way out of town and Joseph's tensions ease. Are you well, he asks. I am, she says, smiling, rubbing her stomach. He is no longer stirring, but is heavy inside. Joseph forces a smile and quickens his step. What if she gives birth on the side of the mountain? What if the baby comes in the middle of the wilderness? What, what would he do? What, what could help him? Several families from Nazareth are traveling in caravans on the road ahead and behind them, but Joseph doesn't feel he can rely on them for help. He has he's never felt so isolated in his life. The road ahead is full of twists and turns as the lush valley turns to chalky dirt and then rock. Mary is jostled about on the donkey and a flashing pain takes her breath. She reaches for her back, attempting to ease the hurt, but... There it is again. She leans forward on the donkey and holds her breath till the ache passes. It seems so long ago that she was baking bread in her home. A young girl giggling with her mother and teasing her sisters. Was it only nine months ago? Mary smiles, her mind swirling with sweet childlike noises and from her parents' home. She moves her hand over her abdomen again. There was no longer a, a plate set for her at her parents' table, she thinks. Her place of rest beside her sister was now empty. They would no longer whisper into the night, sharing girlish secrets and stories. She closes her eyes and breathes deeply. It is still so much to comprehend 
that the promise of God is enfleshed in her womb, dependent on her for life. Joseph looks up at her. Every illusion he had of starting a family with her ended months ago when she told him she was pregnant. Every conceivable dream of the village celebrating their wedding shattered when rumors swelled that his betrothed was a harlot. Swept away with those dreams were his plans and desires and every expectation he had for their new life together. He was torn from the privacy of a once quiet life and shifted into one of public shame and ridicule. He is still trying to wrap his mind around all that has taken place in a short, so short of a time. He watches Mary as the corners of her mouth turn up in soft edges. For months now, those that she has grown up with who have shared meals around her family's table have been quick to brand her. But these well-mannered guardians of morality have never cupped their ear to hear the truth or offered a word of compassion. The hourglass has been turned and eternity is fast approaching, but their thoughts have been consumed with how the law of Moses is unwavering concerning what to do with those caught in sexual sin. The very angel who came to Mary all those months ago must surely have guarded her life from the hatred and condemnation of the righteousness of those bent on vengeance in the name of God. How else has her life been spared? Is she frightened? He cannot tell. He hasn't known her long enough to discern her emotions or fears. They are both so new to each other. The angel told me not to be afraid, he said to her. And she said, so... You are not afraid? He says, I wish I could say that. I'm not afraid, but I am terrified. He watches as others gather around the well. What, what does that make me? A human, just like me, she says. I too am frightened. There's so much that I don't know. So much that I will never understand. He looks at her. Her eyes are deep, touching the far reaches of her soul. Why was I chosen for this, she said. Why you? He shakes his head. How will I teach him? How do you teach any child, she asks. He turns his face to her. Yes, but how do you teach him? How will I raise him? With love, she said. But is love from a common man enough? She traces her finger through the blade of grass in front of her and says, it will be more than enough. It is the very reason he's coming. Their rest is short. They want to make the next town by nightfall. The donkey's footing is unsure, so Mary uh, gets off the donkey and he helps, Joseph helps her to the ground. Her breath is shallow. As she walks behind Joseph, she hasn't been able to take a deep breath in weeks. Her legs begin to cramp. She stumbles over the rocks on the path, groping for the donkey's back. Joseph, stop, she says, catching her breath. I I can't go on. He helps her sit on a rock. She wipes her forehead and pushes her hand over her belly. It's hard and no longer seems to be a part of her. She winces at the pain of an early contraction, and Joseph loosens the straps on her sandals, slipping them off her swollen feet. He brushes the cake dirt away from her toes and ankles. She groans and rests her head against the mountain, gasping for air. There are no royal privileges for this birth. No attendants to help them over the mountain. No cooks to tend their meals or servants to soothe her aching back and feet. 
this royal baby would not be born into a soft, cushioned life. A pain knifes through her again and she screams. Tears fill her eyes when Joseph sees her. Tears, every thought that has occupied his mind on this journey flees. He pulls her head onto his shoulder, holding her till the hurt subsides. He will come soon, Mary says between breaths. Joseph feels his heart race and he nods. It is late on the fifth day when they reach Bethlehem. The town is already crowded from the many pilgrims traveling for the census. All of them clamoring for a place to stay. See, we look at our typical manger setting for today and we, we glance over all those things. We miss some of what it took for love to come. There's so much going on on this journey. and I mean, it's no wonder we skip straight to the manger scene. I have to be honest with you, when... When I read about Mary and Joseph and their trip to Bethlehem and I look at a topographical map of what they traveled by foot, my mind plays out more like the skit that we saw than what I just read to you. Maybe because it's hard for me to grasp that Jesus' love for us is so intense that it required him to arrive through such an ordinary way. You see, when you look at other religions, the the object that is usually worshipped is usually covered in gold and, and it's unrelatable to the worshiper. It's, it's so much more above them. But our Lord and Savior has been through everything you've been through. His life began not covered in gold, but in a stable covered in dust. He lived his life in such a way as to show us how to live ours. He was born of a common girl. He grew up in a blended family. And he respected his stepfather at that. He had friends that let him down from time to time, but he still prayed for them. He still forgave them. He still loved them. If I wrote this story, it would be so different. If you wrote this story, it would be different. But what I want you to understand this morning is that God's story of Christ was written by him. It was lived out by real people because of his love for you and me. Let's not get too busy this year. Let's not forget that God so loved the world that he sent his only son so that we would not perish but have eternal life. The journey, the story that God is writing for you, you may not quite understand it right now. You may look around and and think, what's going on in my life? Why does it seem so chaotic, so hectic? Why can I not get the foundation that I think I need You're not alone. I'm sure Mary and Joseph had similar thoughts. Consider the questions, the concerns that Mary and Joseph had. The point is that when things get tough, remember, we aren't writing this story. We're not the authors. God is. And you're going to endure some things in this life that you may think at the moment are unbearable like Mary and Joseph and what they experienced traveling out of town. We can take comfort knowing that even though Jesus wasn't born in a castle and he wasn't raised as a, as a prince or trained as a noble knight to be strong and handsome and daring and courageous in the face of danger, he was wise and humble and he did indeed battle the forces of evil and he overcame that evil. Not only that, but he won the heart of his princess, 
the church. She became his bride. That's us. The bride of Christ. He overcame evil for us. I want you to know that whatever it is you're going through right now, Jesus, the bridegroom, our Prince of Peace, our King of Kings, our Lord of Lords has taken care of our happily ever after already. So as we go through this season, as we look at God's story, and then you look at your story, I want you to know that. If you would like to live happily ever after for eternity, it starts by surrendering your life story. That life story that you've been writing and living on your own, it starts by surrendering that and submitting it and submitting yourself to Jesus Christ through baptism. Maybe for you, it's time to allow the author of life to begin writing your story. The baptistry is ready. Or maybe you want to understand that more. Maybe, maybe you're still trying to figure out what exactly does that story look like when I give my life to Christ? The elders are here. They'd love to meet with you and pray with you about that and talk with you about that or whatever may be going on in your life. Whatever your response is today to God's story, think on how your story comes in underneath his because he is the author. Our story doesn't trump God's story. We should align with it and we should live like we align with it. And then we could reflect it. Will you stand and sing this response song and respond accordingly? It's been great to worship with you all today and uh, be here with you this morning. But now it's time to go. As you go this week, remember, you can't write a better story than what God has written. But we know his story. If you're reading it, you can then go out and live that story to the best of your ability. Be a reflection of him everywhere you go this week. Will you sing this last song with us?